The news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday the 8th of June. Peter Lewis here on Radio 3 with the day's business and finance headlines. The Reserve Bank of Australia has raised interest rates by a greater than expected 50 basis points to 0.85%. Economists had been expecting a 35 basis point hike. It's the first time in 12 years that the Australian Central Bank has implemented back-to-back rate increases, and it's the biggest increase in 22 years. Australia now joins more than 50 other monetary authorities, including the Federal Reserve, in raising rates by at least half a point in one move this year. The World Bank has slashed its growth forecast for this year and next year and warned of stagflation, extreme poverty and the debt crisis in lower middle-income countries. Under the World Bank's base case scenario, it predicted global growth will fall from 5.7% last year to 2.9% this year and 3% in 2023. Under its more risky scenario, it's projecting global growth could be 2.1% this year and just 1.5% in 2023. US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told senators yesterday that the United States faces unacceptable levels of inflation and an appropriate budgetary stance is needed to help dampen inflationary pressures without undermining the economy. She said that she expects inflation to remain elevated. The US trade deficit fell 19% in April from record levels the previous month. The deficit with China increased $8.5 billion to $34.9 billion in April, as imports decreased as China enforced strict lockdowns. And Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam said yesterday that her government will neither tighten nor relax COVID restrictions before the handover celebrations on July the 1st. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft, John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment, and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, stocks opened lower but overcame a profits warning from US retailer Target and notched a second day of gains. The S&P 500 index, which has registered weekly losses for eight of the past nine weeks, rose 1% on Tuesday to 4,161. The Dow added 264 points, or 0.8%, to end the session at 33,180. The Nasdaq Composite rose 0.9% to 12,175. Shares of Target dropped 2.3% after the retailer issued its second profits warning in a month. The group warned it would have to sell unwanted stock with deeper discounts, a potential sign of lower consumer spending. The Pan-European Stock 600 index fell a third of a percent. The UK's FTSE 100 slipped 0.1%. Stocks in Asia opened cautiously yesterday after gains on Wall Street were capped by a jump in Treasury bond yields. Equities then turned lower after Australia raised interest rates by more than expected. Hong Kong shares slipped from a two-month high, despite mounting speculation that a crackdown on the technology industry may be easing. 
The Hang Seng Index dropped 122 points. That's 0.6% to 21,532. The tech index was down 0.1% after trading up 1.5% near the highest level since April the 6th earlier in the day. The Shanghai Composite was up 0.2% at 3,242. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is 0.6% higher at $120.85 a barrel. The chief executive of Trafigra, one of the biggest carriers of seaborne crude oil cargoes, has warned that the oil market could reach a parabolic state later this year, with prices surging to record highs and triggering a slowdown in economic growth. Jeremy Weir said energy markets were in a critical state because of sanctions on Russian exports, and it was likely that oil prices could top $150 a barrel in the coming months. Gold is half a percent higher at $1,854 an ounce. The yield on the US 10-year Treasury bond, which jumped above 3% on Monday, fell back six basis points yesterday to 2.98%. And the US dollar index was 0.1% weaker, but the yen extended its losses, hitting another 20-year low, below 133 to the dollar, before settling half a percent weaker at 1326 Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiko Kuroda reiterated the Bank of Japan will support the economy by maintaining powerful monetary easing. The euro is trading at $1.07, sterling is worth $1.26 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 88 cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.675 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is around 31,100. And taking a look around the Asia-Pacific markets, the SX200 in Australia is up 0.7%. Similar story for stocks in Japan, Nikkei 225, also up 0.7%. Cosby is up about a quarter of a percent in South Korea. And futures markets pointing to a gain of about 220 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. It's 8.09, it's a Wednesday morning, that means it's Stuart Allcroft time, Asian Fund Manager, Management Industry Consultant. Morning, Stuart. It is a Wednesday morning and it started a bit brighter than expected, so not too bad. Good Even, morning, Peter. Good morning, even brighter because all of you are here this morning. <laughs> also with us, John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investments over in our Queensway studio. Morning, John. Yes, morning, Peter. And on the phone from Washington, D.C., we have Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Morning to you as well, Barry. Good morning, Peter, and glad that it's sunny in Hong Kong this morning. Great. We're all happy. Central banks are raising rates rapidly in the most widespread tightening of monetary policy for more than two decades. Over the three months to the end of May... Monetary authorities announced more than 60 rate rises. More are expected in the months ahead. The European Central Bank, which has resisted calls so far to raise rates from a record low of minus half a percent, is widely forecast to begin raising interest rates from July. And it's also under pressure to start as early as this week at its governing council meeting on Thursday. And in the latest move, the Reserve Bank of Australia has raised interest rates by a greater than expected 50 basis points to 0.85%. Economists had been expecting a 35 basis point hike. It's the first time in 12 years that the Australian Central Bank has implemented back-to-back -back rate increases. 
and it's the biggest increase in 22 years. Stuart, do you want to kick off? We're seeing now um, not small increases anymore, are we? We're seeing bigger ones. We're seeing uh, 50 basis point rises. In some cases, we've had a couple of 75 basis point rises now. Um, do you get the sense that central banks are maybe starting to panic a bit here? Well, I don't think they're panicking, but it's time. this is the time when interest rates need to start going up. Um, it's quite clear inflation is, is rising around the world. We're talking about inflation of, what, 8 8.5% or more in Europe uh, coming up that way in America, probably will be the same in Australia uh, in, in, in a short while. So inflation, inflation is rising quite rapidly. Banks perceive that increasing interest rates will help to uh, dampen um, uh, inflation rises, but uh, I'm, I'm a bit dubious of that particular notion myself. But it's, um, it's a way in which to slow down um, some uh, aspects of inflation. Uh, it is also good for savers because savers around the world, as, as we were talking about last week, uh, savers around the world have been um, at the wrong end of all of this with having zero interest rates. And now they're going to start to see a better return for their, for their deposits. The problem is, of course, there's a lot of debtors around as well, aren't there, including well, countries are. that exactly. are going to suffer um, from this. But, but they've, they've benefited from this very low, um, and some might say artificially low, level of interest rates for the last 10 years. And uh, many people will have locked in those low rates for quite a, quite a while. So they may not necessarily immediately uh, be on the wrong side. If interest rates go up now, they may be locked into low interest rates for a year or two beyond uh, the current um, round of increases. But, uh, but overall... Um, I think we should expect interest rates to continue to rise. I think they could rise um, through the whole of this year and probably all of next year, and then we'll see what happens, uh, depending on many different financial circumstances. John, do you think this is working? Are, are the central banks doing what they say they're doing and containing inflation or trying to contain inflation? Well, at last. I mean, how long have we been talking about this? Everyone's seen it coming, and... Uh, so far, we've got 1% interest rates in the U.S. Uh, the Fed is still running uh, a balance sheet of $9 trillion. Mm. Okay, the rate of growth has slowed, but we're still up there, right? So there's been no actual meaningful tightening whatsoever. Still so quite far. loose, so really, They've got it? to get on with it. <laughs> still pretty loose. So, I mean, arguing about whether Australian interest rates should be 0.85 or 0.7... <laughs> Uh, today, on Wednesday, the 8th of June, is, you know, frankly, uh, frankly ludicrous. Um, yeah, no, but, I mean, Stuart makes a, a very good point. I mean, the borrowers um, have had it far too good for far too long. It's been totally uh, unfair, I would say, on, on the ordinary savers. Investors have now, had it far too good for too long as well, haven't they? Because they yes, haven't really well, had to the, think the about skew, where massive, they're putting their money. Put it anywhere. Yeah, exactly. The extraordinary skew in monetary policy, which penalises savers and um, rewards, you know, speculation in me, me, uh, meme stocks and uh, crypto and all the rest of mm. it, whatever you whatever you think of is, is um, well, it's unprecedented. I, I can't believe people are so, so reluctant to uh, uh, re re redress the balance. Barry, we haven't seen this for a long, long time, have we? More than 50 central banks now, including the Fed, raising interest yeah, rates yeah. by at least half a point. 
in a, in a simple Absolutely. Way. No, it's yeah. uh, unprecedented in many ways. I think you're right, Peter, to suggest that the ECB is going to begin the tightening cycle. But, of course, uh, we do have an outlier, and that's the People's Bank of China. I mean, they're reducing interest rates, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some action in that direction in Japan. Because if you've got the yen at, uh, what, a how many year low, multiple decade, at 133 yen, and uh, they may want to raise rates, but of course they've got a very low rate of economic growth. So it's unprecedented, you're right, but uh, we've got still distortions in the global economy. But most of the world, the industrial world, ex-China, is coming out of the, out of the pandemic uh, uh, stimulus phase. Is there anywhere to hide from this, or is now inflation endemic pretty well all over the world? People hid from it, um, and as, as I was saying, um, they were able to hide from the potential by locking in um, for extended periods low interest rates in their borrowings. Um, what you have to assume is that many people who've got savings will probably take a while before they start having the increase of interest rates passed on to them by their banks. That is typically the way the banks will operate. And, and that will be something that um, central banks and governments will probably want to take a look at because, after all, if interest rates go up and the banks don't start passing it on to savers through higher deposit rates, um, that, that's, that's not necessarily a fair game. John, where do you invest in this type of environment? Because uh, stocks are going down, bonds are no good either. You can't invest in, in cash because uh, interest rates are in effect negative. Where, where do you go? Where's the safe haven? Uh, well, I think you have to hold a, a considerable portion of in, in cash at the moment because otherwise you're going to see capital losses uh, probably are in many areas of, uh, of, of the stock market and just wait for... I mean, once we get the long, once we get bond yields up to a sensible level, I mean, we're possibly that's a good. The positive, I think, is the bond markets are, are getting there faster than than the central banks. Um, so three percent. Um, if we're getting up, up towards five percent on a ten-year U.S. Treasury, for example, then I think that will that will start to look, um, you know, quite a reasonable. Uh, investment. In the meantime, you've just got to look for, you know, active uh, stock investors got to look for uh, pockets of strength. Investors have got to be like patient, in, haven't they, John? Yeah, and, yeah, no, I agree. And, and not, I mean, the, the one thing that people always tell investors is don't invest uh, based on short-term issues. Don't mm. be a short-term investor. Invest for the mm. longer term. And, and we're now looking at uh, at a point where really the, the next few months probably will not look very pretty for most investors. Um, it's, it's the holiday season coming up and a lot of things are looking quite negative in that respect too. So I, I think it's probably a time when many investors just need to um, close their eyes, do nothing and wait for the um, end of the summer and maybe some fresh ideas and possibly better, better terms. Yes, <laughs> yes, might be a long wait, Stuart. Uh, look, uh, what, what about those who are in debt? Uh, they're going to see higher interest rates on their credit card debt, and the home purchasers who have floating rate mortgages, they're going to see higher action. And meanwhile, uh, fuel prices are, are high in Europe and the United States, so it's on, not a happy scenario looking forward. No, mm -hmm. I, 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 I 
I don't disagree with you at all in that respect, Barry. Fuel prices have gone through the roof, and um, and, and although America seems to be a little bit uh, protected from the very high rates, Europe is seeing enormously uh, high rates on, on fuel, and it, you know, it's costing a vast amount of money just to fill up the tank. I suspect that uh, we're going to see a, a very sharp fall-off in uh, vehicle sales, and probably the the use of cars is going to drop as people realise that every time they they fill up their tank, it's going to cost them a hundred and fifty dollars or whatever. Okay, let's move on to the World Bank. The World Bank has slashed its growth forecast for this year and next year. It's warned of stagflation, extreme poverty, and a debt crisis in low and middle income countries. Under the World Bank's base case scenario, it predicts global growth will fall from 5.7% last year to 2.9% this year and 3% in 2023. Under its more risky scenario, it says global growth will be 2.1% uh, this year and just 1.5% in 2023. The changes have come about because of higher than expected rises in interest rates, as we've just been discussing, along with energy prices and the effect of the Ukraine war hitting economies already struggling with COVID-19. The bank's twice-yearly Global Economic Prospects report said global conditions today were similar to those of the 1970s when steep rises in interest rates were needed to control inflation. And it said developing countries are expected to be hit particularly hard, with less developed countries in Europe and East Asia facing a major recession. And Barry, what do you make of this report? It's exceptionally gloomy, isn't it? Talking about conditions now similar to those of the 1970s. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yes, I think it is exceptionally gloomy, Peter. And uh, when you look back at those records from the 1970s where you had high inflation and high unemployment, low economic growth, I think for developing countries, those in the Middle East, in South Asia, and in Africa, the real problem, or at least one of the real problems they're grappling with, are higher food prices. So much of their food is imported, and so much of that wheat is coming out of the Black Sea, Ukraine, and Russia, and those shipments are not going forward. Mm. And add to that, we've seen fertilizer prices double in the past year. So it's a gloomy forecast indeed, but I think they're probably uh, quite accurate. Yeah, and another aspect which um, you didn't cover, Peter, but I think uh, you may find somewhere in that report is that China has, uh, for the last five years at least, accounted for as much as 50% of global growth. And China has slowed down so considerably uh, with uh, GDP much lower than probably even China had forecast, somewhere in the sort of 3 to 4% level. That is also not helping the global growth scene. Mm. The, the, the report says that um, the, the impact of the pandemic and the war in Ukraine is going to leave global economic output in the five years from 2020 to 2024, more than 20% below the level implied by trend growth uh, from 2010 to 2019. I mean, about 20% lower. That's a, a huge difference, isn't it? It is. It is. And, well, and, and I don't think people would have indeed. forecast some of the reasons why, too. Yes. And, uh, you know, as you quote those figures, Peter, I'm thinking, look how that's going to impact migration across the Mediterranean to, into Europe. Uh, that's going to go up. I mean, as people have a hard time in Africa, they want out and uh, they go to Europe.
Mm. John, what do you make of this uh, this report? I mean, it's talking about in particular poorer countries being hit particularly hard yeah. by this rise yeah. in food yeah. and energy prices. Well, I mean, clearly that's what what we're observing, and um, you know, it's uh, this is time for you know the international organisations. I think uh, you know, like the UN and so on, to to, to really. Um, really really get involved and and, and try and uh, find ways of uh, you know relieving the situation in those in those uh, what can they country. do uh well it's difficult uh, under current circumstances as you know the um, the security council etc is is totally non-functional now because the, the all the major players are at war or at odds um war hot or cold i should say with each other so um yeah it's it, it's difficult Stuart, what can be done to try and alleviate uh, this? And, and who does it? Does it have to be sort of coordinated globally with some multilateral institutions involved? What can be done? Uh, I'll wave my magic wand then for you, Peter. I think, first <laughs> of all, uh, an end to the war in Ukraine. Mm. Um, that will have the immediate impact of releasing a vast amount of grain and also that will help food prices. Secondly, it probably will start the process of allowing Russian oil back into the market and that will then lower oil prices by quite a considerable, considerable amount given that last week they were up to $120 a barrel which is basically as high as they've ever been. Um, both of these, or the, one, the one single move, the end of the war in, in Ukraine, will have a massive impact on, on the potential for the future. Well, we've got the problem, of course, of countries who are exacerbating this themselves by putting um, bans on exports of their own food as well. We've seen that in India and other countries. That's oh, yes, Malaysia made... particularly, no chicken going to Singapore. Yes, I mean, that's, that's mm. the sort of thing that is happening, and it will continue to happen. But Barry, what, what we're done? really waiting for, sorry, Peter, I, I was just going to add that uh, we're really waiting for China to spring back because that is going to be more helpful than probably any increase in economic assistance to poor countries. If we get China growing at a fast pace, that's going to be good for developing countries and will alleviate some of those gloomy numbers from the World Bank. And if that doesn't happen, what, what action could be taken? The World Bank's talking about maybe debt relief for countries, asking them not to put uh, restrictions on food exports. The IMF has been talking about windfall taxes on energy companies. If, if China carries on with its zero COVID policy um, and growth doesn't rebound, it's going to be a big problem, isn't it? There's going to have to be other measures. Absolutely. Taken. We need more waves of Stuart's magic wand. That's what we need. But certainly he's right. You've got to stop this war in Ukraine and you've got to get oil back into the market and end some of these massive distortions. Mm. John, what, what about where we are in the markets uh, at the moment? We've had a big sell-off this year, which sort of paused mid-May, mm. didn't it? We saw a rebound in U.S. stocks uh, in markets out here as well. Uh, we've seen a rebound off of the lows. Is that rebound justified? Um, well, it's a, a pretty modest uh, rebound. Um, I, I guess it's yeah, it's time for a pause. I think put pause. I think we're with all these uncertainties around. Um, I mean, there's value here and there, um, as Warren Buffett would no doubt point out. So I think we're in a phase of uh, consolidation and, uh, you know, probably having a, the proverbial summer trading range. Um, and as we get towards uh, the end of the third quarter, 
you know, um, markets will take a view of whether we're going down again because the, all these problems we've been discussing are, uh, don't seem to be getting any 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 better, or the opposite, where there is, you know, there are a couple of in, inflections uh, uh, in a positive sense that will cause markets to start to, to rally. Mm. That's why I, I think, uh, you know, keeping a, a good uh, a good amount in cash um, is, is probably a sensible thing to do at the moment. Yeah, I, I agree with John there because I think that it is, this is not a time to be very bold unless you um, have a completely contradictory view to, to those, the majority of the market. Mm. Barry, it's a, a crucial day on Friday. We've got U.S. consumer price inflation data out. Uh, people are hoping that it may show that we've reached a peak uh, in, in inflation, which presumably then will be quite good for markets. Do you think we're likely to see that? I don't think it's necessarily a peak, but um, I do think that the inflation rate is going to moderate. I wouldn't be surprised if the 12-month the inflation comes down from 8.5 towards 8.1 and maybe even to the 7s. That'll be good news because you really do have a very forceful United States monetary response against inflation, mm -hmm. and the absence of stimulus means that you've got... Uh, a fiscal response that is positive as well. So let's hope so, because uh, we, we need the inflation dragon to be slain. Well, that's, that's what Janet Yellen is talking about. But um, inflation, uh, ultimately, inflation is very good for stock markets. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't ultimately um, mm. ignore that aspect. But I think inflation is a lot more difficult to control at this point um, because of the uh, risks out there, because of oil price, because of food prices. And that's a sort of spiral that can, can go on for quite a while. Janet Yellen, Barry, she came under quite a lot of pressure, didn't she, in her testimony uh, overnight with uh, Republicans basically saying it was uh, the Biden administration that was causing inflation because of its massive stimulus packages and spending uh, that, it, that it's gone and done over the last couple of years. Is there any truth in that? Sure there is. There is. And uh, I think Janet Yellen is very much in the middle. She's attacked by the left wing of the Democratic Party for being the person who said that the last stimulus package, the, uh, the Build Back Better, was in fact too big. Mm. They didn't like that. And of course the Republicans say, well, hold it, uh, you're, you completely missed the boat on inflation. So let's, uh, we'll see if she can hang on to her job. But uh, she's in a delicate spot and I thought her testimony was impressive. But bear in mind that the U.S. is not the only government. A lot of other governments have put a lot of money into stimulus packages for their economies. Um, but not so many governments have got the cash in hand to do that, which the Hong Kong government did have. Uh, so they're going to have to get their money back from somewhere, and uh, they're going to have to, there will have to be a period of government borrowing increasing too. John, final word to you. If, if these U.S. inflation numbers come in better than expected on Friday, is that going to be enough to, to maybe send stocks on another rally and, and build from where we are here? Um, well, it may, it may have a, a short-term short impact, uh, but I think, I think uh, we're going to have to wait and see how, how this all... I mean, we need the Fed to deliver on these interest rate uh, hikes. Uh, nonetheless, you know, they've still, we've still got to get back to... Uh, somewhere normal or what's normal i don't know 2.5 three percent at mm. the short end and uh, a, a little bit higher at the, at the longer end
Okay, well, thank you very much indeed for your comments. You heard there John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment, uh, Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, and our international and our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia is up about half a percent at the moment. Uh, the Nikkei 225 has jumped about two-thirds of a percent not long after the open. The Cosby in South Korea, pretty flat. Futures markets pointing to a gain of about 220 points for the Hang Seng at the open later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, COVID updates with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton this morning. The weather forecast, cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavy at times. Uh, the maximum temperature is going to be around 29 degrees. And then the outlook is for heavy showers and squally thunderstorms in the next couple of days. There is a thunderstorm warning in force. It's 27 degrees right now, 90% relative humidity. Time's coming up to 8.32. Here's Andy Shirosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Health officials say they're receiving an unacceptable number of false reports of positive COVID-19 tests, forcing a change in the way the daily infection tally is compiled. They believe many people are lying about the home tests or reporting old results because they want to be exempted from vaccination requirements. Dr. Chuang Shukwan is from the Center for Health Protection. The false positive rate has succeeded what we can accept. So we have been removing the false positive cases after PCR tests showed they didn't have the virus. We think this is not ideal, so we will change our way of reporting the cases. For positive rapid test results that have not been backed up by PCR tests, we will not consider them as confirmed infections. For the day, 231 COVID cases were confirmed by PCR tests. Meanwhile, Qatar Airlines has been given a five-day flight ban for twice breaching anti-COVID rules and bringing in infected passengers. Overseas, the World Bank has slashed its annual forecast for global economic growth, warning that the Ukraine war and the COVID pandemic mean many less developed countries face a major recession. The bank said Eastern Africa and some parts of Europe were particularly affected. It said there was a real risk that stagflation, a combination of high inflation and low growth, could return for the first time since the 1970s, fueled by increases in food and fuel prices. The U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has described the country's current inflation levels as unacceptable. Addressing a Senate committee, she said bringing inflation down should be at the top of the agenda. I think that bringing inflation down should be our number one priority, and President Biden has indicated that it is our top priority. We do have to recognize the Federal Reserve has an important role to play, and they're committed to doing what it takes to bring inflation down. The King of Belgium is in the Democratic Republic of Congo for an historic visit. He will initiate the return of artifacts looted during the rules of his ancestor, King Leopold II, during which millions died and the country was plundered. King Philippe has previously expressed what he called his deepest regrets for the wounds of colonization. Local leader Ilungamba Ayanda said the past must be remembered. What our ancestors went through was unbearable. They were forced into hard labor and not paid for the work they did. 
they weren't fed, and if you didn't do the work you were given, you were severely beaten. Many people still talk about the colonizer's whip. It's important to remember what happened to our ancestors at the hands of white people. The news from RTHK. 